Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast for C-suite IT executives and leaders from C-suite leaders. And now for today's podcast, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey everybody, we're back. Uh, so wanted to mention real quick, today's session is brought to you by Tim Hortons. We happen to be up here in Canada. I'm not sure we can And say wanted that. to... Uh, we can't say brought we're to not, you by. That's true. We're not sponsored by Tim Hortons. <laughs> our energy level is sponsored by the caffeine that's contained right. in, our, in our daily coffee or tea. Yeah. Um, but this is my first time visiting a Tim Hortons, I have to say. The, the, the red cup is, is nice. They make a good cup of tea. So that was, that was fantastic. And apparently it's cafe Steep day. Tea. Steeped tea, yes. Camp day. Camp day, yes. Camp day. Where all the proceeds of buying a coffee go directly to kids camping in Canada. It's pretty good. I think that's fantastic. And is it the same day every year or do they pick a different day? Uh, I have no idea. You don't know? They, but they advertise it well enough that you're aware that today is Camp Day. Canadians absolutely will know it's Camp Day. Fantastic. Well, if you're if you're in Canada and and uh, going to a Tim Hortons, you know, make sure you hit them up on Camp Day. I think it's I think it's worth mentioning anytime someone does a a uh, you know a charitable event of this scale. I don't you know I think it's worth taking a second to mention. I don't think we do enough good in this world. But uh, but now that we're back, I I kind of want to continue that conversation because you touched on something that that I think is really important. Um, you know, one of the things that we do, that we attempt to design an architect for, even when moving to the cloud, right, is is less technical debt than we had yesterday, mm-hmm. or less technical debt than we had in the last version. Um, and so we do kind of design for some of that application portability. Um, but but you touched on a, on something that I kind of want to highlight, right? Um, even in a perfect world, if our software developers are the are, are absolutely top-notch and they design for that application portability and we've chosen as ma- made as many choices as we can that are that are cloud independent but still cloud supported um, and the application code and the interface stays the same and everything else can move from one cloud provider to another right one of the things that you touched on was the authentication layer changes the network layer changes right the the kind of fundamental infrastructure like components of the cloud change and so while the impact to the organization might be less than it was when we did the, the initial lift and shift into cloud right which you mentioned really does highlight that the the overwhelming weight of that move then moves to IT operations right. and more than just being a significant challenge to the way the operations of that application function um, that's a key place for mistakes to be made. True, uh, but when you look at architecting an application for a destination, uh, is it really in our best interest to make this application architecture so generic, so portable, that you lose the value of the destination? You kind of have to look at it as a balance to say, it could be the most generic, most fluid application. I could run it anywhere on any application, any operating system, any container, um, but then it functionally is handcuffed because I can't add value of the destination to it that's unique in some way. Right? So we can, we can over-architect the solution so that it loses all its potential value and it can only do so many things. Um, I would say that's true in certainly in in some cases. I think there's other cases depending on the size of the application and and its value and and exactly what the process it's trying to solve, where um, architecting it to be to take advantage of things that are offered by one cloud provider and not another 
may also not be something that you necessarily want to do, right? Like, I may not want to take advantage of Microsoft's new database format that is a combination of SQL and Cassandra and can read and write both because there's six people in the world that know how to, how to work with that, whereas I may want to architect it with no SQL, and I can, like there's portability between those two. Sure. But I think for the most part, when we, especially when we start getting into things that are large, that, that tends to be true. Yeah. Right, but it is an argument that I, that I hear, and so I kind of wanted to, wanted to you know, talk through it. Yeah. Um, but your original premise of, of the operations, I 100% agree. Like, sure. The reality is, you know, the 17 steps in the runbook are different depending on the destination, different depending on the application, even different depending on the type and number of instances of that application. We always say application, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, oh, it's the SAP X, or it's the mortgage underwriting system Y. The reality is I had 16 mortgage underwriting systems sure. across a variety of platforms, and they weren't all the same version, right? From version one to version eight, sitting on Oracle and IBM and you know Java one through Java six, right? It's, it wasn't an application. Right. It was a portfolio of the same. Right. And therefore, my 17 steps were anywhere between 17 and 30, depending on what this actually was. So even consolidation of the operations was complex in a single platform, let alone now adding other destinations, right? Other landing zones. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, when we talk about SAP, SAP is not one application either. No. I've never seen an organization where SAP is one application. I've never seen an organization where SQL or Oracle is one application. Right. Um, I, I spent a significant amount of time and made a significant amount of money in the like mid two thousands, um, providing a way for for companies to run on one desktop, the 12 different versions of Oracle that they needed to run for the 12 different uh, applications that required those versions of Oracle, right. right? So it's not, nothing is as simple as the application. Um, and I think we, is, I see this a lot in the provider side, we tend to miss that nuance from an operation standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to miss that, that the, uh, every customer uses shorthand based on tribal knowledge, and we tend to miss that. I would say, you know, if we talk about mistakes, right, I've talked about a few cloud mistakes. Um, I would say that's actually one of the bigger mistakes from a provider standpoint. And one of the things that, as a customer, um, I always really had to be aware of is when the provider attempted to use the same language I used, we didn't necessarily have the same definition. Mm -hmm. And frequently, if I didn't confirm that their definition of that thing, that their understanding of that thing was the same as my understanding, we were going to be ships passing in the night and, uh, and if there were dollars associated with that, I would probably be the loser. Yeah, I usually say it's a blurred understanding of the same words. Right. right? <laughs> Cloud might be the exact same word, but I define it entirely different than what you as a provider are providing it to me. Plus, um, cloud destination is different for the applications that I have, different for my line of business that I have. Um, I might want to consume them financially different. That's, it's had so many dimensions that you almost have to start with the definition first. Let's come to the same agreement on what we're talking about, then we'll talk about it. Tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a, there's a tremendous difference in what is the outcome that you desire. Right. Are you moving to cloud because you want the agility? Are you moving to cloud because you want, the, you want to add operational efficiency? Are you moving to cloud because you're just tired of being in the data center business? Are you moving to cloud for the financial model? Right. Right. What is the cause that has you moving to whatever that technology happens to be? And I think we also kind of tend to miss that a little bit. Mm. Um, and, and, and in general, right, if the person that you're talking to doesn't know why, you're talking at the wrong level.
Right. Right. For me to help you, I have to understand what's the motivation behind that thing. And I don't care what it is, right? When I, whenever I bought anything, whenever I had a RFI, an RFP, uh, was looking at a, at a product, it was not because I thought the product was neat or I liked that particular faceplate or those blinky lights. It was because I was trying to solve an operational problem. Right. Um, sometimes vendors didn't ask. Sometimes providers didn't ask. They just simply provided. Let's look at the history of that. I can tell you that the, the practitioners who are trying to consume something from a, a provider looking at features and functions, right? They're looking to say, I need to do this kind of work, this kind of operational engineering work on a daily basis, and here are the types of commands I want to be able to use. Does your system allow me to implement these commands? Absolutely. Right? Uh, there are very few people in the room, the managers, the directors, the VPs, who are worried about the actual outcomes that I'm looking for. But sometimes we sub-select on feature before we even get to the outcome. Right. A little bit backwards. Acquisition problems. And a lot of that, and I think you'll agree, that IT infrastructure has always been on the back end of a project. Right? Business, the line of business says, I need to solve this problem. They go to the application development team who says, great, here are the features and functions I need to do that. Oh, if I need to buy or create something new, I need more infrastructure. Hey, by the way, IT team, do I need more infrastructure? Right. So they're kind of at the back end, operations or engineering, whatever, and then at that point, it's just capacity or uh, scalability or performance or security. They're, they're worried about almost entirely the illities right. and not the business to support the illities. That, that match doesn't occur. So when the provider comes in, sometimes it's just give me this thing instead of this thing solves this problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But... Um, that, I would say that has to change. Yeah. Um, I would say it is changing, but that that, that has to change, right? Um, in the same way that, that, you know, I used the term manufacturer, and you corrected it to provider, which I like, um, IT has been a provider for a long time, mm -hmm. right? And, and being a provider to our customers, while a better definition of kind of the generality, isn't really our goal. Our goal is to be that partner, right? right? Um, which involves us better understanding what the goals of the customer are from a business standpoint. Like what is the outcome they're looking for corporate-wide? How do we align to that objective? How do we help them achieve that objective? Mm -hmm. um, IT has to do the same thing, right? IT traditionally has been that provider, um, and IT has to figure out how to become a partner to the organization. Um, you know, uh, if you look back historically, right, we were, we were initially the custodians of blinky lights. That's the, my favorite way to explain it. Um, when this whole industry started, we enabled the business to do things the business could not do generally around calculations. Um, and it was very much a system where the, the job was figure out how to make it work, not necessarily focus on the business outcome. Mm -hmm. right? um, then we added all of the processes, right? the kind of ITIL revolution started, where the technology worked, but we didn't really have the ability to scale that work Right. right, we didn't have the ability to make that repeatable. We didn't have the ability to ensure that that regardless of who did the work, they did the work in a very similar fashion, so the outcomes were aligned. We weren't really looking for efficiency, right? We had a bunch of shepherds tending their individual flocks, mm -hmm. um, and so ITIL kind of brought that next level, but that was still restricted to operations. It was still as a provider, how do I how do I provide procure and deliver the things quicker and more efficiently and more consistently. 
right, at scale. Um, and, and that worked until we started to get into more of kind of this disruptive world, right? We talk about disruption a lot. We talk about digital transformation, which is that the way we, um, the way we explain the response to disruption. Right. Um, and, and ultimately, if you're just a provider, it's not, you're not going to continue to be successful. You have to move from provider to business partner to business driver even, right? Business today, regardless of the industry, is driven by technology. Right. There's almost no industry that today is not being driven by, by the, the value of data, which is directly you know, reliant on the value of technology. Um, and yet I still see so many IT organizations where it's, there's this very hard dividing line in operations where they are still just a provider. They don't know how the stuff's being used, why it's being used, why it's being re uh, requested, what's the outcome that, that is hoped for. Um, and I see that as a as kind of a critical miss. Would you would you is, agree? Is it the root cause of being this this battle between application development and IT operations? Right. There's there's been this historical battle to say I am the creator of software. I I design and code these things that the business uses, and therefore I'm empowered to make decisions. And that empowerment might also include where this application sits and runs and how it operates. Thou shalt do what I need you to do, IT. And then IT saying, or infrastructure saying, yes, but I need security. Yes, but I need scale. Yes, but I need to grow. Yes, but I don't want to be called at 3 a.m. because there's a problem. And therefore, I'm going to standardize what I give you, and then you have to comply to that. So DevOps is a great example where initially, it shouldn't be now, but initially it was, I want more pow empowerment. I want to do what um, I need to do in a day's time instead of week's time. And I want to do less operations anyway. Those 17 steps should be one step. That one step should be a button. That button should be available to the application development team. And that was sort of the, the creation of DevOps, but that certainly was, isn't what DevOps is now. Um, it's certainly not what DevOps should be now. Right. right? Um, I, like to, I always like to start a DevOps conversation with... Uh, what we should have learned from the cloud, right? Because DevOps was really about acceleration to the cloud mm -hmm. more than anything else. Like, the, like that's kind of the nexus of it, right? If if um, if I'm engineering for the cloud and I'm designing software for the cloud and I'm writing code for the cloud, how much involvement do I need from my traditional IT operations, which may not understand the cloud? Mm -hmm. Right. So it kind of logically made sense there. But I think I think it's worth taking a minute and talking about the things we we should have learned from the cloud. Right, we've touched and flitted around kind of there. Um, and I always say that the three big things we should learn from the cloud are, first off, no more sacred cows. Mm -hmm. The second is infrastructure as code. And the third is the holistic application. Okay. Um, I think everyone's heard the first two kind of frequently, right? Yeah. I didn't create these things. I just, I, I happen to catalog them and talk about them <laughs> in detail. Here's repeating. Um, but you know, no more sacred cows. We talked about that, right? That's that monolithic application that has its tendrils and everything, yeah. but is also possibly not supported anymore. Core to my business. I may have one or two people on staff that really understand how it works. And during maintenance windows, we, you know, we sacrifice animals and draw pentagrams and light candles and, and pray to our various gods and any that may be ancillary that we can, you know, that, that helped us find a parking spot that morning. Right. Um, just to get the application to come back up because it's so core to the business and it's so fragile. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and then the second one, 
the, the infrastructure as code is pretty straightforward, right? We start thinking about how do we make these things eminently redeployable by writing it all in, in easy to read code that's commented well, right. that's stored in a GitHub, that, that automates some of the heavier processes. So it's accessible by somebody else. Somebody else can invoke this process. It doesn't have to be an IT operations professional. Correct. And if it is an IT operations professional, it certainly doesn't have to be the same one every time. Right. It could be any IT operations professional can look at it. Right. Um, and it also makes it much easier to, to go from the kind of test dev through QA and into production because we use the same code to deploy it each time. And, and anyone in that chain should be able to read that code and understand what's happening and disassemble it and question it, right. which is probably the most important. Um, it makes change control easier, right? Your, your documented change process um, is essentially just what is the difference in this code. Right. Um, but I'd like to spend some time and talk about the third one. And the third one is the holistic application. And the way I define the holistic application isn't the boxes that run the application. It's not the people that support the application, but it goes all the way back to what is the business purpose for that application? Mm -hmm. Why did we deploy this in the first place? What was the problem it was trying to solve when it was first used? And then how has that changed and evolved over time? What value does the business get out of it today? And have you found that we are, um we're getting looser in those definitions, or that there are certain people in the organization who don't know the history and understanding of the application, or that when we build new applications, we need to start from scratch again? Um, I find that you have to do that with all the applications in the organization, and the newer the application, generally the faster people are able to answer that question. But what I found is in most organizations, they only ask that question one time, and that was in the project phase of the application's uh, deployment, right. um, they, 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 they made sure within 30 days to follow up, then they closed the project and never asked the question again. And I have seen massive monolithic applications that were critical to the business that had two people working on them that pulled one report a month. Right. <laughs> that have grown over time and now used very infrequently. Right. And yet we're still maintaining that as though it was a tier one application when in fact the value that the business got out of it was nowhere near the operations run cost, right. but no one went back to the business and said, what are we using this for? What are we doing? Um, you know, we could solve this with a modern Excel spreadsheet and a pivot table. Do you think that CIOs um, do a currency analysis, a program, application program portfolio analysis on a semi-regular basis where they can take all of their workloads in the form of applications, put it on a two-by-two two matrix of level of importance to my organization, level of risk of it going away, and level of currency. Right, to say, um, um, is this so important and so high risk that I have to keep it current, or so least important with least risk that I'm not worried about its level of currency? So I think that there are some CIOs that do that. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've seen like the charts of a CIO. I think it had bubbles on it to represent the relative weight of the application. Right. Um, uh, but even in those cases, I'm not sure what goes into the creation of those bubbles, and that's where I would probably want to get a little bit more programmatic. Um, even in the case where I'm at a customer and I see that, I want to challenge, what do you do on an ongoing basis to confirm your suspicion? Right. You put that the thing is this big on your chart, how do we know it's actually this big? 
What is the value that that provides? Is it an efficient application? Like when was the last time you reviewed um, the landscape and said, okay, well, this is the value, this is what our workflow looks like, this is the desired output, these are the 17 companies that can do that. Um, what is the, what is the, you know, are, are, is the path we've chosen still the right path? Because if we chose that path 20 years ago, the chances are pretty good the market, you know, the com competition for that application has changed. Have we, have we reviewed that? Like, is that the proper way to do it? Probably not, because in a chart like that, it's relative size against other applications. Absolutely. Right, so yes, this one fax application probably isn't important as the teller system for the bank, right? For sure. <laughs> so relative size is different, but when you look at the teller system, is it doing everything I need to do for the tellers or for the consumers right. or for the investment banker? Like, what, what can I do to make this you know, more applicable to the business I'm trying to operate or attract customers I'm currently not attracting. Sure, and and to that to that point, right? Um, if I have an application where the holistic application involves distributed systems that are every bank branch and ultimately a system that has to work with third-party tellers, right, because I can't tell my customer, I can charge my customer a fee for using a third-party teller, but I can't tell them they flat out can't use a third-party teller system. Like, that would be a problem, third-party right. ATM. Um, there's a level of complexity, a level of difficulty in that assessment that ultimately is significantly different than, than um, the distributed system I use for faxing, right. to, use, to use that example, um, even though... So what's the workshop? What's the process to get this holistic application understanding? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so we have to start with what is the customers at the kind of CIO VP level, right? W what assets and resources do you have? What does your catalog look like, mm -hmm. right? What data is in that current catalog? Can we see that? Um, have you done a currency analysis, right? If that's the, the method that they're using to start, right? And then we break that down into, okay, what, is the, what do the charts mean? And then how did you derive those values? Right. Um, then I go all the way through to the end, right? I, I work my way through each application. What's the age of the application? When was it installed? What does support look like for it? What does the market look like for supporting that application? Mm -hmm. Right. When was the last time you talked to the line of business? And has anyone sat with the people who use the application? Because I think that's really critical. Right. Um, and then how do we define the protection level of that application? Um, you know, we talk about uh, tier one, tier two, tier three. We talk about gold, silver, bronze. Um, I had this conversation recently with a customer uh, who's kind of going through this process of defining their SLA level for their applications. And I said, well, it, it needs to not be a static one, two, three. Gold, silver, bronze, right? Um, it needs to be a, a matrix. Because in reality, there's two different components that I really need to care about. I need to care about my RPO, RTO, my recoverability of that application, right? That has two very, very different numbers, my RPO and my RTO. Mm -hmm. If I only use the application once a month, my recovery point objective is gonna be significantly different than my RTO. How long does it take, take it to get back up? Sure. Um, and then at the same time, I, I have a performance consideration. To that same kind of thing, right? Um, I only use it once a month, but so even if it's even if the data is super critical, um, the performance may not be, or vice versa, right? If everyone logs into that system once a month, then it not only needs to be up and in that period of the month, but performance is going to be really key. Right. Um, and I really need to start looking at applications along kind of that uh, kind of that methodology.
Right. right. I would also say, um, what is the current state of the application? How does it run? Is this a bare metal application? Is this a virtualized application? And if it is a virtualized application or a bare metal application, how do I ensure its availability? Mm -hmm. Am I using some sort of clustering on bare metal um, for virtualization? Does it vMotion well? Right. I'm just assuming people are using VMware because they happen to be the, the, the overall market leader. But, but how does it, how is its recoverability? I had many applications that while they ran wonderfully well on VMware, um, because of how the, how the application interacted with its files, it did not, they did not vMotion well. Right. Um, had to do with, with uh, how Kerberos handled um, open file locks. Um, and so like, there's all of these considerations that, I, that are also kind of critical, right? Um, do these things work? Um, how, how do you recover in the case of a failure? How important is that recovery to the business? And if you were to prioritize all of your applications mm -hmm. from one to 655, where does that application fall on its um, criticality to the financial health of the business? Where does that fall on the number of employees that are impacted if that doesn't work? Mm -hmm. As in, the criticality may be relatively low. It might not cost the business a ton of money if it doesn't work. But at the same time, I may impact 30% of my workforce right. because it doesn't work. So that changes that I'm criticality. Sure a force ranking of 655 applications work only because it is much more likely that different line of businesses have different needs. I, absolutely. I wouldn't necessarily do it that way. Right. But I, but I, wanna, I need to think about them in some sort of logical fashion right. to know where is my time, energy, and money best yeah. spent. And they're probably portfolio-esque versus absolutely. individual applications. Absolutely. Groups of applications yep. and stuff like that. But I may rank them... Um, I don't know what the chart's called, but but um, but I see that like especially in con like budgeting and finance, right. where you have income and then you break out the streams into larger chunks and then smaller chunks and right. smaller chunks, and that's probably how I would like logically visualize that process, right? I still need to know within SAP, within my ERP system, if there are 60 pieces to that, I still can only refer to that as one thing, but when I'm recovering or weighting those 60 pieces, they may not all weight the same. Right. Um, and that's... Your, your examples were very IT specific, right? There was here, here's a lot of IT dimensions to this application, but if you were to extend that to the business model definition of these applications, you'd also want to know... Uh, original and future customers. Absolutely. Original and future customer segments. Uh, original and future value proposition. Original and future assets. Absolutely. Original and future revenue versus expenses. Original and future suppliers, right? Or supply chain. All of those become important to determine whether this application has a lifespan beyond a year beyond five years, beyond 10 years, right? It's quite possible that my business simply doesn't change in a, in a small period of time, and therefore it has a, a, a huge tenure. Or this particular business changes so much, it's investment banking, that I need a product every hour, and therefore the agility of the application is more important than the length of which the ATMs need to be. Right. And, and the longevity of the data may not actually be there either, right? right. If it's highly transactional, um, then the value of that individual individual transaction may not remain valid inside the application, right. and that's kind of another thing to think about, right? Um, but it very much is, and, and the only reason it's 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 IT and infrastructure centric is, I firmly believe they have to drive it. 
And the point is to start at the things that we know the best and then work our way out to the thing we know the least best, which is how is it used, what's the value, what's the cost of the business, right? What are all the business drivers or the things we know the least the least well? And so I would start with the thing you know best I and then move out. I and and then really most of the time I think is is valuably most valuably spent I spent think here. Therein is the irony. So when I when I was running IT, my application team knew way more about the application and the business and its infrastructure than the infrastructure team knew about that application. Um, yeah, but when I look at IT, for me it's the same. Like that's all one team. This isn't okay. this isn't something. So you weren't infrastructure applications. No, 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 no. It's it's this is this is essentially one team, right? When this is a an enterprise architecture okay. focused exercise that sure. comes from the EA team, which is something that spans the organization. It's right. not restricted to something that, that infrastructure does or right. something that just application folks do. Um, but there is a distinct difference between those two groups, right? The there, there very much is. The application team focuses far more on features and functions and richness of UI, as an example, um, and therefore they are much more likely to take a vertical perspective, uh, whereas the infrastructure is looking for scalability performance and reliability over a, a portfolio of applications. Absolutely. And therefore, they're thinking scale, they're thinking... Um, um, Security, or, stability, yeah, repeatability, repeatability yeah, yeah. those things. And therefore, they are less concerned over the features and functions of business of the application. Absolutely. And we need to... We need to align them. That, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the, the, the purpose of the whole exercise. Right. The holistic application being the end-to-end life cycle ownership, business purpose, infrastructure, development life cycle, vendor components, all of that, the goal is everyone should be aligned to know what that thing actually is. What is the definition of this thing end-to-end -end and aligning everyone along the chain? So you may not have this, if you work in infrastructure, you may not have the same level of day-to-day care, -day care and connectivity to the business unit as the software development folks right. who are connected to the line of business but not necessarily to the business user or to the manager who's not connected to the infrastructure or really to the software people but is very connected to his, his direct reports and the outcome and output of that department. But this the, the goal is to align all of these folks all along the chain. Right. So while they may not think about it every day, there is one place that you can go, you can look it up, and you can see what is this thing. Right. And then more importantly, you can see when was the last time our thinking was challenged? Because we don't spend enough time challenging our thinking, the way we do things. Um, a, a really good, and I'm gonna go right back to infrastructure with this, because a really good one is we're spending a lot of time talking about IoT. Mm -hmm. And IoT is, you know, in a data-driven world, IoT is kind of the, the new frontier. Um, but it is so incredibly data heavy that if we, if we don't challenge our thought process and we try to protect that data in the way that we traditionally did, we're going to add so much operations overhead that we'll never get an ROI out of IoT. Right. Right? We need to start looking at things from the perspective of what is the value to the business this, that this provides and then how do I best support the business? And best supporting the business may not be using traditional tape backup to backup endless streams of data that no longer provides a reasonable recovery mat mat matrix mm -hmm. or metric. Right? And maybe it doesn't involve saving that data at all. Maybe we process that data and drop that data. Maybe we process that data and save the algorithmic output. Right? Um, 
in video data is a really good example of that. Um, if I can move my processing to the edge for analytics, the analytics components are far, far, far less weight than the full video streams. Right. So maybe I process at the edge and I take the output from that and I send just the output back and I discard the video data. Good, good next topic. <laughs> that was a lot, that was a big stream. You still finding this engaging? Yes. 